Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let us begin today by going to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to once again praise you for who you are, for your love and your righteousness and justice, eternal life. We praise you, Father, for your plan for the human race, for the fact that you and your grace and love understood that the only way that mankind could be redeemed is if a perfect sacrifice was offered, and you sent your only son to be that sacrifice. We thank you, Father. We will thank you every day of our lives for that gift, and you raise him from the dead, so whoever believes in Jesus Christ will never perish, but have eternal life. Father, today, as we uh, bring into remembrance the death of your son, we would ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts for the meaning and how that meaning applies to our lives. And we pray, Father, for the church this morning, for every member of the body of Christ. We pray for our country also. We pray most of all, Father, that uh, we would have a service today that would be glorifying to you. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Well, good morning again, everybody. I have to tell you that when I'm up here, I see all kinds of light. There's about 10 of them over here. If I look at them for more than a second, I'll be blind. All righty, welcome again today. Uh, as we get started, I want to let you know a few things. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and that means we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of service today. Also, we have our next luncheon. It's scheduled for two Sundays from now, and it's on October 20th. Just to give you a couple of weeks' notice, Sunday, October 20th, we'll be having a church luncheon. That's always a terrific time for us. Look forward to having everybody a part of that who can be. Again, it's Sunday, October 20th. After service. New month, which means we're featuring a new missionary organization. It's uh, Grace Prison Ministries. Many of you know about this. It's uh, headed up by Keithy and Starling, um, who's a former inmate himself, and now has got a great ministry and going back into the prisons and jails and giving hope to the prisoners that are there. They, they work to change the lives of prisoners. They have evangelistic component for those prisoners who are not believers in Christ, and then Bible teaching for those who are, they, they look at and go to not jails, prisons, and youth detention centers. So they cover short-term, long-term, and term in the youth. And again, they just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they break down the Bible teaching so that it's understood how to live the Christian life in a very practical way. So please give them <laughs> your support in prayer and in financial giving. Um, they are ultimately... Their goal is to restore the lives of these people, scorned and rejected people, through the love, hope, and forgiveness that are found only in Jesus Christ. Their website, www.graceprisons.org, (laughs) www.graceprisons.org. Finally, I want to let you know once again that we are participating in what's called First Priority. That is where the gospel goes into public schools through uh, youth clubs that the the students uh, set up themselves. And so we are, we are adopting, as it were, Deerfield Beach Middle School. And our first uh, event, our session, will be on Wednesday, October 16th. So it'll be next one, not this Wednesday coming up, but the one after that. Please keep that in prayer. It's a great opportunity to get to, to young people that might not have heard the gospel and give them an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, the, today, the title of today's message comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
statement of fact. We'll see when we do that. We're going to do that today. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And we'll get started here. We're going to read just four verses today. I think they'll be very familiar verses to most of you. But we're going to see today how, even though we usually take these in and of themselves, we're going to see today where the, how they fit into the longer teaching in chapter 11. I hope that will be eye-opening for you. It was for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and we'll get started. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And of course, that's where we get the title for today's message in verse 26. Well, as we saw last week, from verse 17 to the end of the chapter, is one unit. It's, really all, it's all talking about one thing, really, but in three stages. We'll see these stages again today. The one thing is the thoughtless, selfish behavior of the Corinthians when they gathered together to eat the Lord's Supper. We saw that last week, how one was good. They were just gorging themselves on great food, and right, right through the uh, atrium, there were those who had nothing. And yet they were, they were in this meal gathering for the Lord's Supper. And we're going to see today that that behavior is a contradiction to what the gathering is all about. That's why Paul puts this here. He's talking about their selfish behavior, and then he brings in the Lord's Supper, and then he's going to tell them the conclusion for their lives after this. That'll be next week. So, look, please go back to uh, verse 20 of chapter 11. Just go back three verses to verse 20. We'll see where we ended up last week. 1 Corinthians 11.20 Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You think it is, but it's not really the way Paul knew that. He says, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise, think nothing of the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. That's where we ended up last Sunday. And you can see verse 22 is the, followed by verse 23, which is what we're studying today. So let me give you this outline of this whole section. Again, this, today we saw this last week. Verses 17 to 22, Paul is calling out the Corinthians, rebuking them for their abuses at the Lord's Supper. That, that was what we studied last week, how Paul rebuked them. He's rebuking them in verse 22 in a very strong way with the questions. Very effective technique for somebody to be, uh, look, have their eyes open to their wrong behavior by describing it in a question back to them. So Paul calls them out and he rebukes them for their abuses at the Lord's Supper. Now this week we're studying verses 23 to 26 where Paul delivers the Lord's instruction about the Lord's Supper. And then he comments on it in the last verse, in verse 26. 
And of course, this is the passage that we're very familiar with. We just read this morning. But uh, we're going to look at it in a new light, in its proper light, which is in the context of what else is around it in chapter 11. And here, after he's talked about the abuses, the bad behavior, the problem, you see, there is the remedy. The Lord's Supper in this context is the remedy for their bad behavior. Now, it's many things, but in the context of where it appears in the Bible, it's it's really presented as the remedy, the solution, the correction to what their bad behavior was. And what's the remedy of their bad behavior? The true meaning of the Lord's Supper. The true meaning of it. See, sometimes I think I know the same thing. We, we, every, every first Sunday of the month we go to this passage and we're very familiar with it. And so I hope today this will give you a new understanding of it. Because it really can be. It's a lot of things, but it can be a remedy for bad behavior. And I mean of the congregation as a whole. So did Paul. Okay, the third stage, which we'll look at next week, in verses 27 to 34, Paul warns them about judgment. You see, when you are um, thinking little of the Lord's Supper, when you're not really worshiping it because of what it means, okay, that is something that is you know, pretty offensive to the Lord. He's talking about his death, and people are acting the opposite to what his death meant. And so Paul's warning them about judgment about that, some of which had already occurred. And then he exhorts them, right, to correct the abuses. He says, now that you understand what you're doing, now that you understand that really the meaning of the Lord's Supper is the opposite of what you've been doing, then go do the opposite of what you've been doing. That's the, that's the, the progress of this chapter. Warns them about judgment, exhorts them to correct the abuses. Okay, so that's the big picture. And uh, you can see, I hope, that it all centers around the Lord's Supper. What they were doing wrong what the true meaning was, and how they are to correct their behavior. Okay, today, though, we're going to go over verses 23 to 26 again. That's what we're going to look at today and study. And what happens here is that Paul, through the instructions he received directly from the Lord, is taking the Corinthians and us back to the upper room when Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples on the night before his death. Paul taking the information that Jesus told him about what happened there, about Jesus' actions and words, presents them, by the way, for the second time at least. We'll see that. He presents them to the Corinthians and in the context of their bad behavior when they gathered supposedly to to eat the Lord's Supper. But the first time that this was done, again, was in an upper room in Jerusalem when Jesus was gathered together with the apostles, the disciples, to eat the Passover meal. It was the last meal he would eat before he went to the cross. He would die the next day. Now, if you look at verse 23, again, it reads this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Can you see that's in the past tense? In other words, here he doesn't say, I received from the Lord and now I will deliver it to you. Why is that important? Because he'd already taught them this. And that's another reason to say, wait a minute, you know, if they were just ignorant because they'd never been taught about what the Lord's Supper really means, okay, now you know. But they already were taught it, and even though they were taught what it meant, they ignored it or forgot it or didn't care, and they behaved how they did anyway. The contradiction to one body in Christ gathering together to bring into remembrance the death of our one Lord, they acted in the opposite way. But he's saying, listen, I already taught you this, but I'm going to have to teach you again. 
He taught them what Jesus said and did with the bread and the cup at that first Lord's Supper. Now we turn to this message, as I mentioned already, this passage, each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is for most of us a very familiar passage. And in our minds, it stands alone. Now that's no accident because that's usually what we do. We just look at that one passage by itself. Okay? So that it is something that we think of as a unit all by itself. But of course, it does not stand alone. It's in a context. It has a context. Why is that important? Why is it important to see that this passage that we uh, use for the Lord's Supper is in a context? Well, as a general matter, you know, we always want to check out the neighborhood, as it were, anytime we study a passage. Only by doing that can you get the full meaning of it. Only by doing that can you get the full meaning of one verse, or a whole passage, or a whole chapter. After all, we're now in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and yet what he's already been has a great bearing on what he's doing now in his, in his teaching, and then we'll see how that connects to what he's going to start to do in chapter 12. You see, everything in the Bible has a context, and you have to study that context in order to understand the full meaning of that passage or that section or even that chapter, or even the whole book, because it's 1 Corinthians itself is in a context. You see, Romans comes first, the foundations of the Christian faith, and then you deal with some problems that are going to come up in assemblies, particularly immature ones. So, and that's totally true here. The question is, why is the context important for this particular passage, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26? After all, you might think, you know, this works fine all by itself. It's been working every Lord's Supper for a long time. We recite it during the Lord's Supper celebration. And when we do, we don't usually worry about the particulars that were going on in Corinth back then. Besides, those people are out of control, and that's just not happening with us. Right? Well, we'll see. For the most part, the behaviors aren't happening here. As I mentioned last week, we don't have people coming in with all kinds of food, going into a corner with their high-class friends and eating it all themselves, and then leaving somebody who doesn't have anything to have nothing then again. We don't do that. We don't get drunk. As a matter of fact, we don't even have a meal. Maybe we should. I think we should do that to get an understanding of the original, the way it was celebrated when the Lord did it and when the the early church did it. Well, we don't do that, you know. But it's still important because there are mental and and even behavioral things that we have to come to terms with ourselves today and, and who we are. But you know what, too? If the Holy Spirit wanted to present this as a standalone set of instructions for us, that's what he would have done. He may, he could have, if that's all he wanted to do, he could have placed it anywhere in the, new, in, in the uh, letters in the New Testament, right? But he decided to put it here. And the fact that he chose to place it right here in chapter 11 of, the, of 1 Corinthians is highly significant. Yes, the Lord's Supper is a remembrance. Jesus said, remember me every time you eat the bread and drink the cup. It is a proclamation, as we saw in verse 26. We proclaim the death of the Lord in our eating and drinking the the bread and the cup. And it's all of that, but it's also a remedy. It fixes things, or ought to. Things that were not right back then, which were obvious and documented, but also things that are not right today. 
I'll say, I'll say this. If you are in a church who doesn't really teach the Bible, okay? First of all, the whole, the whole core purpose of a church is to, is to preach the word in season and out of season. But put that aside for a minute. Let's just say during, during the month you really don't get a lot of teaching. You get no teaching on the cross. You get no teaching on the gospel, the death of Christ. Well, but if you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you'll, and you understand what it is, you will now have a teaching. And not only will you have a teaching on the death of Christ, you'll actually be proclaiming it in what you're doing, in your eating and your drinking. That makes this passage very significant, and it fixes things in our hearts, in how we treat one another, and how our gratitude for the Lord grows. It fixes things. Okay, with that understanding now, let's go through this passage one verse at a time. And we're going to look again at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. I want you to notice, Paul received this teaching directly from the Lord. Directly from the Lord. You might say, well, how did that happen? Well, in other words, let me just say before that, it was not a tradition that he got from other people. He didn't get a tradition that was handed down to him, that came from the other apostles, right? He, he heard this directly from the Lord Jesus. We know this from the scriptures. We know that the, res- the resurrected and ascended Lord spoke directly with Paul, and he did so on more than one occasion. Please turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Galatians 1, 11. Let's see one of those times and see what the subject was. First, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. <clears throat> The meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was something that Paul learned directly. That meant that the Lord came down to earth. He didn't do this hardly ever. In fact, almost all the time he did it, it was with Paul. He was in heaven when Stephen, the, 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 uh, the deacon, died. But he was in heaven. You know. The Lord came down. To, first of all, he came down to knock Paul off his horse. He comes down several other times to teach him. Let's see that. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. What does that mean? It means what Paul had was something different than any of the apostles had when Christ walked the earth with them in the first time he came to earth. What Paul had was different. Why? Because he didn't get it from the apostles that walk with Jesus, he got it. They, they got it from the, uh, when he was, before he went to the cross, and they got, they got some after he was resurrected. But Paul heard directly from the Lord, not only after he was resurrected from the dead, but when he ascend, already ascended into heaven, already seated at the right hand of the Father. And from there, Jesus comes and teaches these things to Paul. Notice that again. I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel... See, this is the most important. This is the core. The gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. That means that the first time that this gospel that he's going to preach was ever heard by a human being was when the Lord Jesus Christ taught it to Paul. That's what this says. The gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it from man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. These are the kind of things that we really shouldn't overlook when we, when, we under, when we want to understand the uniqueness of the body of Christ. 
that, that the, the, the message of the gospel, that, that Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and when he died, he died for our sins. And when he rose from the dead, it was because of our being justified, declared righteous by God forever. That is a message that in, in its completeness was not delivered until the Lord talked directly to Paul, and then Paul wrote it in his letters and taught it to the church. Again, verse 12, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it from any human being, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, please go back to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Of course, that's our, that's our passage today. That's our home for the day. We'll go out and then back in several times when we go to other verses, but we're going to come back all the time. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26. Because he goes on in verse 23, after saying how he received it, he's also going to say that he delivered this teaching already to the saints at Corinth. Notice, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered. Past tense. I already delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. In other words, Paul had already taught them what he'd learned from the Lord about the true meaning of the Lord's Supper. Look, when, when the Lord celebrated the Passover meal with the disciples, with the apostles, the night before he died, they did not understand why he had to go to the cross. They didn't. Because, the, because the, the Paul, I mean, Peter previously to that said, God forbid that you ever have to die in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. What did that mean? Peter, you don't understand a thing about what God the Father's plan is for me. They didn't really understand it at all until after he rose from the dead. Okay? And even then, they didn't know, they weren't taught all the things that Paul was taught about it. Again, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you already. See, when he was with the Corinthians for a year and a half, he already taught them the gospel, and and, and they, they, they celebrated the Lord's Supper together, and he talked about what had happened and so forth. In other words, this was not brand new material for them. And, and you see, this is uh, indicting them. Because if they already knew this, why are they behaving the way they're behaving when they're gathering together to do this again? Knowing that it's about remembering the Lord, the death of the Lord, why would they possibly behave the way they did in light of the truth about the meaning of the Lord's Supper? He had previously taught them this. In other words, he's saying in effect, I already taught you these things, but clearly you need to hear them again. Repetition. We all need to hear them again and read them again. And you know what? I've been doing this for a few years, but every time I go to a passage to teach it, I learn so much. I get a deeper and better understanding of what it means. Because you can't just read it once or hear it once and really get anything like the whole meaning of it. You just can't. Because you have to um, go back again and again. You have to hear it. You have to experience things in life failures and then come back again to the cross. You have to be studying other things in the Bible and come back to the cross. It all centers around what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet, we go back again and again and we'll have more meaning, hopefully, each time we go there. So that's what he's saying. You need to hear this again. How was he sure that they needed to hear it again? Whoops. I don't have that. Yes, I do. That's just out of, that's out of place. I don't know. They were, he knew that they were not, had not really understood the message because their selfish behavior, 
And that made it clear that they were not really gathering together to eat the Lord's Supper. They weren't really gathering together such that the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup was the highlight and that it all brought back the death of the Lord, what He did for them. The fact that when they were dead in their trespasses and sins, Father made them alive on the basis of the fact that Christ died for their sins. Because if they had known that, they would have understood that everybody at that meal was at the foot of the cross. Everybody was needing a Savior. And Jesus Christ didn't think about Himself. He thought about everybody else. And yet, all they were doing was thinking about themselves. He knew that they really weren't gathering together to eat the Lord's Supper, but their own suppers. We saw that. So He's here to say, listen, this, what I'm about to teach you again, is really what the Lord's Supper is all about. And then He goes on and He starts to teach them. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The Lord took one loaf of bread. This is something else where, I mean, when we have the, you know, the, the communion elements, and then we have like a lot of different bread, everyone gets their own. A lot of different cups, everyone gets their own. I know why we do that, right? But the fact of the matter was, when Jesus did it, he had one loaf of bread, and he broke it into 12 pieces. That's what he did. Why? Why is that important? Well, because the one loaf symbolized his one body. But not only that, the fact that we're all one body. Okay? So he took one loaf of bread. And by the way, Paul had already taught this back in chapter 10. Do you remember? Go back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. <laughs> He'd already taught about the significance of the one loaf. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, one chapter before, verse 16. And this is how we taught them. It's not the cup of blessing which we bless, which we thank God for and praise Him for. Is that not a sharing in the blood of Christ? It is. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? And it's so important to see that word sharing It's koinonia in the Greek. We saw that when we were studying this passage. It means a participation. It means a communion together. We're all together in this. A sharing in the body of Christ. And then he goes on though. He says this. He says, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. That's what they totally missed. They didn't discern the Lord's body. They didn't discern the fact that we're all one body just as there's one, one loaf of bread because if they had, they would have treated everybody well. We're all one body. We're all together. We need each other. We're members one of another. If that had been their attitude, they never would have behaved the way they did in shaming people and thinking nothing of certain people and so forth. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, of course, here... Paul was dealing with what? What was he dealing with in chapter 10? Chapters 8, 9, and 10. We studied this for about maybe a month and a half. Well, he's dealing with idolatry, remember? Idolatry. Now, why did he bring up the Lord's body and blood here? Well, with idolatry, remember how the actions of one could really hurt others. Remember that? Could could even hurt the entire body, right? Because how's your witness with the Lord going to be as a body if one of your members is out there in in an idol's temple? What's that saying? It's saying that, you know, we really don't take seriously the idea that we celebrate the one God because we got one of our members over there celebrating another God. It hurt everybody. 
That's the message. Over and over again, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, the message is your behavior is self-centered, like the rich taking the poor to court. They're of their own congregation because they knew they would win. It's all about that. The divisions, when there should be unity. And it's the same thing in chapter 11. But see, back in chapter 10, in dealing with the idolatry that could hurt everybody, he said this, the one bread of the Lord's table, which we're going to bring into remembrance of the Lord in that way today, signifies that the many saints are really one body. They're one body. And not only that, okay, but the bread was the remedy. It was itself. In other words, he's saying, hey, look, it's like a parable in a sense. He's saying, look, here's the one bread. And you are acting the way you're acting. But now I'm going to take this one bread and tell you that when we eat this, we're bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord. And this represents his body. And we're all one body together. So he's using the, the bread to teach them and really to challenge them, to rebuke them. Focus on the one bread and then you'll see how far off you've been. See, that's what he's doing both in chapter 10 and chapter 11. The bread, the bread and understanding why we eat it was the remedy for the lack of concern for one another. And so that's, again, that happens in chapter 10 and it happens in chapter 11 with respect to their terrible behavior when they gathered together to eat the meal together. Okay, back to chapter 11, verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, or delivered over, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, here it is again, which is for you. Ah, that's something new. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, of the Lord. I want to point out one thing while we're here. When Jesus gave thanks, okay, and what he did was he was thanking the Father for providing him the bread. Okay? He was also praising, when it says blessing, he's praising the Lord, the Father, for his provision, for taking care of us. I say that because we might want to rethink grace before meals. Because what do we say? We always, we always bring in something about us, right? You know, I hope this is nourishing. I do. I've been doing this for years. But I, this is why you learn things, you know. It's like the whole point of, of, of the grace before meals is to thank him and praise him. That's it. Because after all, when you think about it, right, in a way, it's a little bit kind of insulting when we say, hey, Lord, I know you provided this for me, but there might be a problem with it. So since there is a problem with it, you know, we, we wanted you to do something else, you know, rather than just trusting him. So, so the idea is to thank him and praise him. Okay, because that's what Jesus did. In any event, when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. In other words, this symbolizes his body. Just like today, when we are going to eat the bread together, it represents, it symbolizes his body. We are going to perform an action that teaches why his body was, what, what, why the significance of his body was when he was at the cross. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, his body is for you, is for me, for the saints in Corinth, for each and every person. That's who his body is for. Equally. It's not as if he died more for one than another. Now you might say, yeah, but some people sin more than others. How do you know? 
How do you know? Especially when we understand that, that the, the things going on in our mind and our hearts are the worst sins. Right? Jesus said, you know what? Oh, you, you're, you're so proud you brag about the fact you never murdered anybody. But I'm going to tell you something. Every time you get angry with a brother, it's as if you committed murder. Oh, I better rethink that idea that there's like bad sinners and then there's me. Anyway, he gave his body equally for everybody. God's son, the second person of the Trinity, God, he took on flesh. Think about that. In other words, he was up there in heaven in a literal paradise. You know, we're all, we're all going to be there someday, and we're going to be very happy when we're there. He was there, and he came down to this lousy earth, and he took on flesh. The God became the God-man. That's a tremendous thing to think about. It tells you how much God loves us. Not only that, that would have been enough, right? That he just came down to us, he was in a body like ours, and he taught us about who God is. But yet that wasn't enough. Because he then turned and he went to the cross and his body was nailed, that same body, that perfect body, was nailed to the cross. And when he was there, he bore all of our sins in his body on that cross. That's the significance of his body. When we take the bread, that's what we're bringing into remembrance. That's what we're a living parable in terms of teaching others. You see, very often when we gather together in church, we teach by preaching. But when we do the Lord's Supper, we're all teaching by the action of taking the bread and taking the cup. That's why later on he's going to say, you know, if you haven't discerned the body rightly, if you don't know why you're here, and when, so that you're, you're doing something that's supposed to be proclaiming the death of the Lord and by your actions, but you're, if your heart doesn't match your actions, that's a serious problem. You're a fake. <laughs> you're a hypocrite. If you're just going through the motions, but what's in your heart has nothing to do with the death of the Lord, that's why he said, you know, some are sick and some have even died. You know, now that's an extreme. A lot of times, you know, things that happened in the first century are an extreme to teach us. Just like when Ananias and Sapphira, these are two married couple. And everybody in the early church was selling all their property and giving it for the common good. And they sold theirs too. Only trouble was they kept some of it back for themselves. This is hypocrisy, right? I want everybody to think... I'm giving it all, but I'm not really. I stuffed my pockets with maybe half of it. And yet they're going and saying, hey, look at me. I gave all this to the church. And, and then uh, Peter said to the husband who came first, and this is the full amount that you receive from selling that property. Oh, yeah, it is. Five seconds later, he's dead. His wife comes in a little while later, and he says, we got such and such money. Was this the whole amount that you received from selling that property? Oh, yes, it is. Well, join your husband. <laughs> Boom. That was an extreme, but it's to teach something, all right? So, yes, he said, listen, why my body at the, at the Lord's Supper? Because I bore your sins in my body on the cross. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We're coming back to 1 Corinthians 11, but please go to 1 Peter. Go forward a few books. 1 Peter chapter 2. So that you understand that what I just said about his body is backed up by Scripture. Okay, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. I, I find it fascinating that the Holy Spirit had Peter teach this. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. Remember when the cock crowed? 
Peter ran away. Peter didn't see the body of the Lord as it was bearing the sins, our sins on the cross. He ran away. Only John and the women were there. So I think that's real interesting that he would have Peter teach that. It must have been very meaningful to him. 1 Peter 2.24 And he himself, the Lord, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's not what the Corinthians were doing. They were living in their flesh, right? They wanted to accentuate the fact that I made it and you didn't. And I'm great with my high social status friends. And we look down on you. I mean, that's the opposite, right? Of the fact that we're to die to sin. We have died to sin. And we're to live for righteousness. Live for the things that God teaches us. Notice this. For by his wounds, his suffering and death, you were healed. You see, what was Jesus thinking at the cross? He, was, he understood that he was giving up his very body for our healing. The Corinthians couldn't even give up, you know, filet mignon for their brothers and sisters. Jesus gave up his body, his body, not an animal's body, his very own, for us. This is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. When we bring into remembrance the Lord, we bring into remembrance that about the Lord, that he gave up his body for our healing. And that the fact of the matter is, is when we eat the bread and we, and we drink the cup, that's what should be on our minds. Okay. At this point, you know what? If you were a Corinthian saint and you had an ounce of humility, an ounce, you would be saying to yourself, oh no, I wasn't thinking about this at all. I really wasn't going to the common meal for the right reason. I wasn't thinking about the death of the Lord. I wasn't there to eat the Lord's Supper. My mind was on myself. You can't have your mind on the Lord and then mistreat His body. Uh, John would say something similar. How can you say that you love God and you hate your neighbor who is a child of God? The one who loves the Father loves the Father's children. Same thing here. My mind was on myself. I wasn't thinking about the Lord, and yet... He was thinking about me when he was on that cross. He was thinking about all of us when he died. How wrong I've been. You see, that's what I mean about the teaching of the Lord's Supper is a correction to that. It's a time to evaluate ourselves. But evaluate ourselves according to the meaning of the Lord's Supper in connection with the body, okay, which is what he did with his body, and also the fact that we're one body. You, you know, if you were that Corinthian, you had an ounce of humility, you say, I saw the loaf of bread, but you know what? When I've been gathering together lately, it meant nothing to me other than something to eat. Just like it did, by the way, with the disciples, when, they, when, he, when he was talking about the bread, and that they thought he was talking about physical bread, and he wasn't. Same thing here. In other words, I wasn't discerning anything when I was there. I missed it, totally missed the truth that this one loaf means we're all one body, members of one another. And we have one Lord, the Lord who gave no thought of himself, but only thought about our needs. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. I want your mind to be on me, the Lord says. And yet, that Corinthian forgot about him. I didn't give any thought to him. I know that now because I would not have behaved the way I did at those meals if I remembered him. 
the way we behave with one another signifies whether or not we're keeping in mind the Lord's death and who the Lord is. That, that should challenge all of us. Because if that's... It work, in other words, it's not as if we're going to behave well and then think about the Lord. No, the, way, the only way we can behave well is when our minds are already on the Lord. Because it's about Him. It's His power. It's His death. It's His heart. It's His self-giving. It's how He wants us to be united that matters. And when we are in that place with our hearts and our minds, believe me, we'll treat each other well. That's the point here. I wouldn't have behaved the way I did at those meals if I had remembered Him. Look at verse 25. In the same way, He took the cup also. This is Jesus with His disciples. He took a cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. As often as you drink it, Drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus took the cup after supper. And this wasn't any regular supper. It was the Passover meal. Hold your place here again in 1 Corinthians 11 and and please go to Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke. Verse 24, I mean, verse, chapter 22, verse 14. Luke 22, 14. This was not just a regular meal Jesus had with his disciples. It was a very special meal to the Jews. The most special meal to the Jews. Luke 22, 14. We can't forget the fact that Jesus and all his disciples, and Paul for that matter, were all Jewish. They were steeped in the Old Testament. Jesus taught from the Old Testament when He wanted to teach them things. When it says that He he opened the Scriptures, He opened the Old Testament. You should never forget that. Never forget that. Some people think that, well, the Old Testament was just for them. No, actually, Jesus taught from it. Paul taught from it. The best way to understand passages in the Old Testament is when when they appear in the New Testament. Because then it... It, it, some, it tells you the, the more of the meaning behind them and how they do apply to us. This is no exception. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table. You know, he was probably, probably was at a triclinium. Remember that from last week? Where you had the three couches and everyone was reclining? Because it says he reclined at the table. You know, Leonardo da Vinci apparently didn't get the memo. You know what I'm saying? They're all seated there at one table. I don't think so, you know. The fact that Jesus reclined and the fact that the same night he washed the feet of the the disciples tells me that they were all together reclining at that table. In any event, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. That was the meal at which the Lord instituted his supper. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I say to you, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. By the way, that tells us that the Passover is ultimately fulfilled where and when. It's not a hard question. I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's a literal kingdom. We studied it for a year on Thursday nights when we were looking at end times. 
All the Passover meant, which was what? To deliver the Jews out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. And they never really got that. They always turned their back on the Lord. They were thrown out of the promised land. They're still out of the promised land. And they won't be back in until Jesus sets up His kingdom. And then the Passover will be fulfilled. And they will celebrate the Passover. Okay, so I want to just tell you something about the Passover. The Passover meal was also a remembrance, just like the Lord's Supper. Remembering the Lord. Remembering what? How the Lord delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. That's what the Passover meal is all about. The Lord delivering them out of slavery, out of a place of death, no freedom. That's what it was. Isn't that, doesn't that sound an awful lot by what the Lord did for us at the cross, delivering us from sin and from death and from judgment? Yeah, in other words, the, the Passover meal was a picture of what would be later fulfilled in the death of in the resurrection of the Lord. They, and they're still doing this, the Jewish people, when they gather for Passover. Maybe not all of them, but the ones who understand what it was all about are still remembering it. Bringing into remembrance what the Lord did for their people, their nation. Delivering the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But just like the Corinthians, who had been taught the Lord's Supper, meaning the, the nation of Israel also quickly forgot the Lord. They, and it's amazing. Now, you know how Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. We just read that. Well, you know, there was a covenant. The reason that's a new one, if there's a new one, there had to be an old one. Right. Well, the old one was established between the Lord and the nation. It was established on Mount Sinai. And yet, at the very moment the Lord was establishing that old covenant, the first one, with the nation of Israel, down below the nation was forgetting all about Him. Literally. Please turn to Deuteronomy 9, verse 11. In other words, it shouldn't surprise us when Christians forget about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. When we just look at human nature, back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 11. <laughs> Here's the establishment of the old covenant, the first one. Moses on the, on the mountain at Sinai with, with the Lord. It came about at the end of 40 days and nights that the Lord gave me, Moses, the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Covenant. And then the Lord said to me, notice this, Arise, go down from here quickly, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made a molten image, idolatry, for themselves. They quickly forgot the Lord. And isn't that true now? Isn't it true throughout all the ages, and even today, especially today, that the Lord's people can forget Him so easily and so quickly? If you look around Christianity today, they've forgotten the Lord, a lot of churches. They're too wrapped up in other things to remember the Lord, especially His death. Especially His death. See, if you remember the Lord in His death, you have to come to terms with the fact that we're all sinners, because that's why He died. You see, And that's not necessarily a popular thing these days to point out to people. 
In any event, Lord's people can forget him so easily, so quickly. And that's why you go back to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to see that not only was the Passover meal celebrated at first Passover, but the Lord did something else with it. Please turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. Just go back a couple, three books. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. No, yeah, three. No, four. You see, the Lord just didn't tell them to celebrate the first time when it actually happened the night before that they were going to be delivered just like the first Lord's Supper was the night before we're going to be delivered at the cross. He didn't just say do it that once. He set it apart as an ordinance to be repeated every year. Why? So the nation wouldn't forget him. That's why. So they remember him. Notice Exodus 12, 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, that's what he told them to do with the blood. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer, the destroying angel, to come into your houses to smite, to kill you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. That's why it will be celebrated forever. It will be celebrated in the kingdom. Verse 25, when you enter the land which the Lord gave you, as he has promised, when you're free, just like we're free, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. When you're there, he says, you shall observe this rite, just like we observe the Lord's Supper. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? The fathers and the mothers had to understand the meaning, not just going through the motions of the meal, but the meaning. When your children, the next generation, that's how we have to pass on. Not when it comes when it comes to our, our 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 beliefs, we're not supposed to pass over them. We're supposed to pass them on. Notice when you, when he says, "And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you?" You shall say, "It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes, and the people laid low and worshipped." And the Lord's Supper is an ordinance for us for the same reason, because we remember at the Lord's table that He died to free us from sin and death and judgment. Please turn back to 1 Corinthians 11.25. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just like the tablets were the old covenant, and by the way, that was done with blood. The new tablet, I mean the new covenant is the cup, and that was that was done with blood, the Lord's blood, not an animal's blood. The new cup, the cup is the new covenant in the Lord's blood. What does that mean? Well, the nation of Israel had the Old Covenant and they broke it. They broke it. It was no longer valid. Old Covenant was gone. I mean, it was still there, but it was unachievable. It was not fulfilled. Okay. Established at Mount Sinai, codified into the law, and broken. 
and and the old covenant was inaugurated with blood. Moses took blood and he sprinkled it on the people and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. And yet when they broke it, when they were in exile, the Lord promised them a new covenant that one day the nation of Israel would have a covenant that would never be broken. If you want to read more about that, it's in Jeremiah 31. If you want to write that down. And the new covenant is also inaugurated with blood. Not the blood of animals, not the blood of bulls, but the blood of Christ. The one perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that is what the cup represents. The blood of Jesus. There's so many passages in the Bible that talk about what the blood of Christ has accomplished. The cup represents the blood. The blood that Christ shed so that our sins would be forgiven. The new covenant is also inaugurated with blood. It is the blood of a spotless lamb, but here is the blood of Christ. That had to happen in order for our sins to be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And yet he did. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 18, I mean 1 Peter. Corinthians in my mind. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Notice that when we are looking at the death of the Lord, we go to 1 Peter. Not only there, but there are important places where Peter brings this up. Look at 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, silver or gold couldn't have purchased your, your forgiveness from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as a lamb unspotless, I mean unblemished and spotless. The lamb is Christ and it was his blood. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever the saints gather for the Lord's Supper, we ought to drink the cup in remembrance of the Lord. We should have the Lord on our minds when we drink the cup. What should we remember? Well, it tells us here. We should remember that he shed his blood for all Everybody here, he shed his blood for. That's the one cup. When we drink that cup, we're bringing into remembrance the fact that he shed his blood for all of us. Verse 26. For as often, every time you gather together to eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we eat the bread, like we're going to in a moment, and we drink the cup like we're going to in a moment, each of us is a participant. We're a participant, and we do it together with every other brother and sister that's gathered with us. The Lord's Supper, if it's really, if our minds are on the right place, it's drama, it's dramatic, it should be. We as one body 
are really depicting what happened at the cross. You know, a lot of times people want to see like a video or a movie of Christ on the cross. That's not depicting his death. This is when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, where the drama. The idea is for us to be doing that and in so doing, proclaiming, declaring, showing the death of the Lord. That's the significance of the Lord's Supper. Think of it. It's a really, really important and solemn really thing that we should, we should realize. He, the Lord gave His body for all of us and He shed His blood for all of us. We are showing this. What He did by eating the bread and drinking the cup together. And we are proclaiming the death of the Lord once again. <laughs> Every time we share in the table and the cup of the Lord. And you know how we proclaim Him? By eating and drinking. That is the proclamation. That is the declaration. Highly meaningful event. Don't miss it. Don't have a surface understanding of the Lord's Supper. All right? Understand the meaning. Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, I hope from now on you realize what you're entering into when you enter into the Lord's Supper. You know, shaming the poor is a betrayal of eating the bread and drinking the cup. Disregarding your brother or sister makes a mockery of what we're doing. You really are. If that's what you've been doing, that's on your heart. You really are better not not celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because that's what it's all about. It's a declaration. It's not you know, a sacrament where you receive anything. It's where we declare things. We proclaim things. You cannot eat at the table of the Lord and the table of selfishness. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. We saw that in chapter 5. And what did Paul say back then? He said, listen, when you celebrate the feast, don't have malice anger, or wickedness as a part of your behavior or your heart, but instead sincerity and truth. Sincerely understand what the bread and the cup are. Understand the truth, the meaning of that. All right, First Corinthians 11.26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death, but not forever, not us. You see, the Passover will be forever because that's when the kingdom for the Jews will be set up with the center, center city in Jerusalem. But our celebration of the Lord's Supper has an until, right? Until He comes. We are to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Because when He comes, there won't be any need anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. He'll meet us, the church, in the clouds at the rapture. Then there'll be the great tribulation. And then he'll come back to earth with his angels. And then he'll set up his kingdom. And he will preside at the great Passover meal once again. Ezekiel 45, 21. We don't have time to go there. Write it down. That proves, it's a prophecy of Ezekiel, that there will be the Passover meal celebrated in the kingdom. Luke 22.16, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What we're doing is a remembrance, understanding the meaning of it, the fact that He shed His blood for our benefit, for forgiveness of sins, that He gave His body on the cross 
so that our sins would be poured into it and never seen again. That's the meaning of the Lord's Supper. All right, let's um, close in prayer. And we'll uh, get ready to actually celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great teaching here in chapter 11 that it really is about how we treat one another. That, that we should remember that your son thought nothing of himself and his needs and thought everything of the needs of others. And if we don't have that attitude, we are making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. So help us not to do that. As we, as we do this today, help, uh, help us to be thinking about the Lord, your son, and his death and what it means so that when we leave, we'll behave in keeping with that. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. At this time, I would like to have the ushers come forward and pass out the communion elements, the bread and the the wine. Grape juice. A great leader dies. The people gather together. When that's happening in the world, what do they do? They mourn his death. We still mourn the death of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Ronald Reagan. We especially mourn the deaths of great leaders who die young. But here at the Lord's table, we don't mourn the death of the Lord. Instead, we proclaim it. See, the world, they proclaim births, weddings, victories, championships, the end of a war, great achievements, and joyous news. The world does not typically proclaim deaths, unless it is the death of a tyrant or a vicious killer. But we proclaim the death of the Lord. Why? Because his death is a victory. It is the end of the war. It is a great achievement. It is joyful news, the gospel, good news. The victory is over sin and death. The greatest enemies of all of us, of all the world, sin and death. It's the defeat of the enemies of Satan and the principalities and powers. It's a great achievement. It's amazing. It's awesome. He bore our sins in his body, the sins of the world. He actually satisfied for all time the righteousness and justice of the Father on behalf of ungodly sinners like we were. It's joyous news that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been reconciled to God simply by believing good news about Christ's death and resurrection. And the world cannot understand that. Those whom the world thinks of as wise reject it. They cannot comprehend that death can be a joyous event. But we do, or we should, that one God-man, Jesus Christ, dying one death, reconciles the whole world to God, sanctifies believers forever. And that is something to proclaim and to declare and to be happy about and to see as the best news possible. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the coincidence that's not a coincidence of studying the passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26 on the Sunday that we also celebrate. We depict the death of your son, his body and his blood sacrificed for us on the cross. Father, may we go out changed in some way. May we go out understanding why Jesus died and the fact that it was the greatest selfless act of all time. And may we want to imitate him in that regard. To think no longer only of our own needs, but also of the needs of other brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a couple of reminders. The luncheon that we're going to have, the next one is on Sunday, October 20th. I would ask that uh, if you're going to bring something, that you would let um, Elder Jack Bovenay know about it so we can prepare ahead of time for wherever it might be. Get a bigger table if we have to. But in any event, please, Jack's sitting in the back. You mostly know who he is, but just in case, there he is. Wave, Jack. You can wave. Yay! I always say yay when there's a luncheon because you know me. All right, also, our next gather together is Thursday, this Thursday, October 11th at 7 o'clock. We're continuing our study of the subject, the great subject of eternal security. Now, once you believe in Christ, you are saved and you're saved forever, and there is nothing, nothing in your present or your future and anywhere that can ever separate you from the love of Christ. You're in the Father's hands forever. And on Thursdays, we also pray. Please, uh, if you have a prayer request, let us know. You can write it down. There's a box in the foyer. You can go on our internet site, www.lbible.org, and there's a place for you to enter and type in your prayer request there as well. Our giving policy is that we do not put anybody on the spot to give. That's why you won't see us passing around a hat or a basket today, okay? We won't do that. Why? Because God didn't do that, right? We didn't have to pass around a basket to God in order for him to give us everything that we need. So nor will we. We are to imitate the the grace and the generosity of God our Father. And what that means is that we ought to be doing it ourselves freely, understanding the meaning, just like the Lord's Supper, the meaning of giving. That it really is, as Jesus said, more blessed to give than to receive. That the fact of the matter is, is that we are, we are in the same way we're eating the bread and drinking the cup in way of remembrance. When we give, it ought to be the same thing. There ought to be meaning behind it. And the meaning isn't, look at me, I have extra money this month. The meaning is, is that I understand we're the body. I understand the importance of preaching the word of God. And I want to be a part in my finances. That's the motivation. So... That's why we don't pass it down anything. We don't take pledges. We don't tithe. And just remember the message of the, of the meaning of the Lord's Supper, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. We're sinners, so he died for us. All of our sins were poured into his body on the cross, 
And then the Father raised him from the dead three days later. And whoever believes that good news about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection will never perish, but have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you have any questions about today's message or about other things in the word of God that you've been wondering about, troubled by, every Sunday I do stay here for a little while. And you be, please feel free to come talk to me, ask a question, whatever it is. We like to do that just to make sure that, uh, that you have an opportunity to think things over and ask about them if you, if you care to. Father, we thank you once again for gathering us all together here as the saints, gathering us together on this day, the special day when we bring into remembrance the death of your son. Father, we do ask once again, Father, that we would be changed again today by remembering once again your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did at the cross for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we offer this prayer. Amen. You're dismissed. Enjoy this great day.